Well, welcome tonight to our Wednesday night prayer meeting. This is the most important thing that we do. I know we have a wonderful time on Sunday worshiping. Now some of you have been able to come back and many of you are still watching online. But the most important thing we do as a Christian is to pray. And the most important thing we can do as a church is to come together and pray. And although we can't physically come together tonight just yet, we can come together in agreement. So I'm so grateful that you have tuned in tonight and I just don't want, please don't be a spectator. There's not nothing to spec, much to spectate. This is, this is a spectator sport where we ask you to be involved and you can be involved in your agreement. I want to thank again the worship team that's come out so faithfully on, on Wednesday nights and on Sunday mornings and our, uh, the band, which only have Pastor Ray on Wednesday nights, but, and our, our camera crew. These guys have been so faithful to come out through this time and our media people that run the sound and everything. Just so appreciate them because this would not happen without them. And they've come out, especially in the beginning when it was risky. And so, but they've come because they love you and they're faithful and want to see the work of God continue on. So we thank you for your faithfulness also. As we were singing that last song, that so wonderful uh, arrangement of, of the powerful song, Amazing Grace, the line at the end and, and that y- you are mine, I was reminded of Isaiah 43 where God's talking to the nation of Israel that had been so rebellious, and He, he reminds them that He created them. He reminds them that He formed them. He reminds them that He redeemed them. And then He says, You are mine. I have called you by Your name. Think about that. The God we're going to talk to tonight, and we talked a lot about this last week. The God we're going to talk to tonight in prayer, because that's what prayer is, is a God who knows you by Your name. He created you. He formed you into who you are. I, uh, Psalm 139 so wonderfully and powerfully says, he, wa- he formed you in your mother's womb. He made you. He formed you. He's called you by your name. And He says you are His. You belong to Him. How can we doubt that He wouldn't listen to us? How can we doubt that His heart wouldn't be open to us when he says over and over again in his word, in both the Old Testament and especially in the New Testament, come and ask him. Come and ask him. He wants us to come and ask, and that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going we're to talk to our God tonight. Praise the Lord. But before we do again, I just want to welcome you tonight. If you're tuning in for the very first time, we're so glad that you've joined us. We'll be here again on Sunday morning at 930 And, of course, we have a television program on WPRI every Sunday morning. That's Channel 12 here in Providence, WPRI at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. And, And lately what I've been doing is I've been sitting down and just sitting here at a table and speaking directly into the camera. And I felt God really directing me to speak a message about the times we're in, especially a message of Christ and who He is and why we need Him. So I would encourage you to listen. And if you've got friends and relatives, my wife is so good at this. She meets people. She says, you know, my husband's on TV. That's a great attraction. But what she's trying to do is get them to watch so that they'll hear the gospel. They may never darken the doors of a church, but they'll sit and watch a television program and they're desperate to hear truth today. And the only truth that's really out there that has an answer to all these problems is in this Word, and that's what we've committed to do through that television program and have committed for over 41 years to do here as a church. That's why that program is called Catch the Truth. It's not that we're so proud and arrogant as we own the truth, but we have the truth in God's Word. And God's truth is, is the truth, and it changes lives. So I just encourage you, if you've never tuned in, uh, to do that on Sunday morning after the, after the live stream is done here, or just encourage somebody to tune in. Praise the Lord. Well, what we're going to do right now is we're going to receive, although we can't do it here, we're going to pray over your tithes and offerings, whether you've given online or you mail your, your giving in. 
Uh, you can go to our, our website, faithccenter.com. There's a place where you can give. You can do the way we do it is by texting 28950, and there's FCC ties, a space, and the amount. It's so easy. You get a nice receipt. We don't get any of the information other than how much what's been given. And uh, it's so easy and convenient. I do that first thing Friday morning because that's when the money magically appears in our account. So before anything goes out, the first thing that goes out is the tithe. So whatever you're giving, whatever you're giving, let's pray over today. Father, we thank you, Lord, for those that are so faithful in their giving and that remember that they give not to just this church, but they're giving to you so that your work of your gospel can go forth, not just in this place, but through the many missionaries that this ministry helps to support. So we thank you for their faithfulness and giving. Father, those that are bringing the tithe or have brought the tithe into the storehouse, Father, your word makes promises connected with that, that you will rebuke the devourer for our sake, that you will, uh, that you will pour out a wind, your windows of heaven, a blessing we cannot receive, and you will, re, you will rebuke the devourer for our sake, and we will be so blessed that others will look at us and call us a delightsome land. And we dare to believe that tonight, Father. And we thank you and pray that blessing over every tither in this church tonight. And we thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, I want to bring a little bit of word tonight, but we're here to pray. And, and <laughs> my wife reminded me before the service, she said, we make sure we pray more than we, you teach. I'm a teacher, so it's very easy for me to get in the Word and just start having it grow as I teach it. But we do this for the purpose of kind of helping us to focus in and encouraging us. These are little messages that are intended to help encourage us with our faith and prayer because the, the one constant requirement that the Bible gives for answered prayer is we must believe when we pray that God has heard us and that we have the answer that, we've, that we have asked Him. Whether we see it or not, we have to be confident that God is hearing us and God is answering us. And that's the primary requirement that the Bible teaches us for answered prayer. So that's, that's why we do this. So what I want to do is just go through a simple story in the Old Testament that I, as I was meditating on this today, I really felt was appropriate for the time that we're in right now. This is a story uh, about King Jehoshaphat. It's in Second Chronicles chapter 20. And it's a story about a king. who's was a righteous man of God uh, serving his nation and this, they wake up one morning, and I'm going to read down through it, and then we'll kind of break it down. They wake up one morning, and suddenly their world's turned upside down. And, and that's kind of what happened to us a few months ago. And suddenly, uh, all of us, t- t- you know, we, we were aware at first that this, this virus hit out in China, and then we were aware that it may have struck over in Europe. But we're just so used to Americans because of the, the vast oceans that separate us from Asia and separate us from Europe that we're just kind of uh, safe and secure here. But, of course, we're living in a very different age than we've seen in ages before because between with air travel that is so fast and so convenient, people can be from China over here in the United States in just a matter of hours. And that's apparently what happened. So suddenly, it seems like out of nowhere, well, out of other places around the world, suddenly this comes home to us. I know that, that my wife and I had had a vacation. We were in Florida for several weeks, and, and before we left to go down there in February, I was aware of this, and I'm thinking, well, I sure hope nothing stops us from getting back. And we came back to something that was more than ever I ever imagined. And, and my whole point is that it just seemed like it was sudden, And this is what I want to talk about to this. So as we get into this word, let's pray. Father, as we look to this word tonight, we're asking you to speak to us. We're here to pray, Lord, but we're asking you to encourage us and open the eyes of our understanding because you've given us patterns of how we can pray and the correct attitude that we can have in our time of prayer. So, Father, as we look through this story, this really happened, may your precious Holy Spirit open our eyes to see things that we need to see to help us in our own prayer time and help us tonight here together as a body of believers here praying together in agreement. And for that, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the scene. Jehoshaphat is king. It happened, verse chapter, uh, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 1. It happened after this that the people of Moab and the people of Ammon and others besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. So these are three nations that have come to, to, to attack the nation of Judah, which was the southern part of Israel at that time. 
And, they, and some came and told Jehoshaphat that a great multitude was coming against you from beyond the sea in Syria, and they are in Hazan Tamar, which is in Engedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and came to fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. Now let's go back and break this down a little bit, because I believe it applies very much to where we are today. Now, we may not have three armies come against us, but it seems like things are coming against us. Between, between the, 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 especially this pandemic, and now are we all the upheaval about the racism, and of course, that's not something new, that's not, but it's, it's suddenly coming to our attention again, and suddenly there's, there's, a, there's a, a crisis, and there's demonstrations and things, and if, if that's where all that was happening, it may not be quite as unsettling to some as it is on the, on the back of this pandemic, and now we have the uncertainties of, is this really, you know, it seems to be subsiding, and now we get reports in other parts of the country that it's starting to flare up again, other parts of the world are starting to flare up again. And I think the most challenging thing about this is the uncertainty of what's going to happen. It's almost as if, well, we can get through something for a few months, and it's been very difficult for many people and very hard. Many people have lost their jobs. I mean, we can't worship here the way we used to worship, and I believe that we will be able to do that again. But it's hindered a lot of things, even for the work of God and the people of God. And, but but if, if we just know this is going to go on for a few months, then we can kind of endure it. It's kind of like winter in New England. It may be a severe winter, but we know somehow spring is going to eventually come so we can hold on. But then we begin to get reports, oh, well, this thing may well come back again. This thing is beginning to come back in other parts. That begins to create an uncertainty, and Satan uses uncertainty to bring fear. And that's what's happened here. This king wakes one morning, no idea, because they didn't have any you know, early warning systems, they didn't have radar, they didn't have any of that. He gets a report that there are three armies bearing down on them. And, and it's hit, hit him suddenly. And look at what it says he does. It says, it says, the first thing he does, verse 3, and Jehoshaphat feared. Now, there are a lot of teachings out there, and I've taught about fear, how fear is an enemy, fear is the opposite of faith. But fear as a reaction when you're threatened suddenly is not an abnormal reaction. There's nothing wrong with it. It's what you do with that fear. So the moment this threat hits him, especially because it's suddenly, it's, it's, it, there's no warning about it, his first reaction is to fear. But look at his second reaction, and this is where we need to learn something. Verse 3, And Jehoshaphat feared, but then he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. I've shared this before. When we came back from that vacation and I came in here, the first week was we were, could see things building. But when I came in here Monday of the, Tuesday of the second week, and it was clear this thing was going to surge quickly and that we might be shut down, fear gripped me. All kinds of things began to fly through my mind. If you're going to shut businesses down, if you're going to shut the church down, where, you know, how are we going to survive? Are we going to lose people? Uh, uh, is the money going to stop coming? And all these things start flooding into you, and on the tail end of those is fear. But I've learned over these years, and I would love to say that I've mastered this, but I haven't. But I've learned over these years many times to do just what Jehoshaphat did. I've learned to turn inside. And God, you're living in me. Therefore, I know that in me you have an answer. You have an answer for me personally. You have an answer for my family. You have an answer for this church because you put me in charge. I'm responsible for leading this church at all times, but especially through a crisis like this. And I, just like we're going to see, I don't know what to do, but I know the one who does. So I've learned when that happens. I may get fear initially, but I've learned not to panic. I've learned instead to get quiet and to listen inside. And if we had time tonight, I could tell you story after story of experiences where I've, God has proven this out in me, even in some cases, and I've told some of these stories before, back when I was a lawyer in court, I had things like this come up. 
And I watched God consistently when I would not panic, but I would turn inside. God was faithful to answer. And that's what Jehoshaphat did here. And then what he does is so he, he, he sets himself to seek the Lord. What? He wants to hear what God's answer. He wants to find out God's answer. Notice he doesn't turn to his military commanders. He doesn't turn to his advisors because they don't know what to do. But he turns to the God he's in covenant with because the God he's in covenant with has an answer and the God he's in covenant with wants to give that answer to him. And then they proclaimed a fast. What a fast does is a fast doesn't earn anything from God, but a fast does two basic things. First of all, a fast helps quiet us down. It quietuses our flesh down. It tells our flesh, look, you're not in control. My appetites are not in control of me. I'm in control. And you be quiet because I need to hear from God. The second thing it does is it sets a determination, a consecration that I'm going to hear from God before I'm going to hear from my flesh and before I'm going to hear from my growling stomach. So there are times we need to do that. And that's what Jehoshaphat chose to do. Now let's look at the next thing he does. Verse 4. So he gathered together the people together to ask help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord now this series this prayer time that that we've started a number of months ago I'm calling united in prayer and even though we can't physically be together and physically be united we can as a body of believers be united and we talked at the very beginning when we started doing this about why that's so important because it's based on the prayer of agreement We see a number of critical times in the New Testament when the church was first birthed and they went through some very critical times. First of all, in Acts chapter 2, when Jesus has just left them and and instructed them that they are to take over His ministry and His first instruction is to wait because you're going to receive something you don't understand which is power from on high. They didn't know what they were expecting. They didn't know what to look for. They're huddled together in the upper room. They're scared, 120 of them, and all they know to do is wait and seek God but they have one purpose in mind they're united together in their purpose and they're united together in their commitment to wait for what Jesus promised would come and then we saw over in Acts chapter 4 it's the same thing that this fledgling church is now being threatened that they can't preach anything in the name of Jesus which is the very core of what they were called to do and they're gathered together in a house Peter and John have been arrested and now they've been released and they're sent back to, their, uh, to the church with the instructions that they're being intimidated and they're not to preach in this name so what do they do? they huddle together again united in prayer and they cry out to God well we're at a time where we need to do that also not just so that this virus dies out and doesn't come back not just so that we can go back to church but that so that what we've been put here to do in this hour because I am firmly convinced that this has not taken God by surprise. Secondly, I'm firmly convinced that God has put this church here and all the other churches here that want to serve Him for just exactly this time because there's something, there are things that God wants to do. So we need to be united together in prayer for that purpose. And as we do this, as we focus on why we're here, the threats will just kind of fade away and we get in, as the Spirit of God engages with us in this purpose and begins begins to show us what our role is and gives us the boldness to carry it out. And we're going to pray for that in just a few minutes as part of what we're going to pray for. So that's why they've gathered together. And so let's watch it, what happens here. So verse 5, Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And this is his prayer. Now this is a very important pattern to this prayer that we need to learn some things by. Notice he doesn't launch off and say, Oh God, we're being attacked by three armies. What are we going to do? Notice what he does here. And I, I, don't, I wish I had time then I'd go back and tell you story after story of where I've done petitions in a really serious situation in our life as a family and in my life. And I made this kind of petition. I even wrote it out. And I, re- and I recited it before the Lord. And it was amazing the answers I was able to get. So there's a pattern here I want to teach you. He stood before verse... This is what he said in verse 6. O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven, and do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might, so that no one is able 
to withstand you. So he starts out by reminding God of who God is and reminding God that he is almighty and that he's all powerful. Now, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Why, why do we need to remind God that he's all powerful? Did God forget? Did God have a memory lapse? Does God just need his ego stro- stroke? Of course not. God doesn't need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded of who this God is that we're talking to. Who this God is that called us by our name. Who this God is that says He belongs to us and we belong to Him. Who is this God who's made a covenant with us through Christ Jesus that whenever we call upon Him in His name, He will answer us. What is this God able to do? Abraham, in Romans chapter 4, says, Abraham believed in God who can raise the dead and can call things into existence that have never existed before. That's the God he had his faith in. And when you begin to look at this God and who he is, it builds your confidence up that this is the God that can answer your requests and your prayers. So they did this for their sake. We need to follow that pattern. Start out by talking to God about who He is. It will build your faith up in this God. Remind God of things He's done for you because you're not just reminding Him. He didn't forget. You're reminding yourself. Verse 7. Are you not the God who drove... This is exactly what I just said. Are you not the God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name. So now they're reminding God of what He's done for them. And essentially what they're doing is saying, God, you've made an investment in us. You've invested, you've driven people out and given this land to us and he's going to now say, now what you've provided for us is being threatened. So he's involving God in this situation because God does care. God wants to be involved in it. Again, these are not being said for God's benefit as much as it was being said for Jehoshaphat and for the people's benefit. Now look what he says here. Verse 8 again. And you dwell in this... And we, and, you, and we have built for you a sanctuary, that was the temple, and in it for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon you, sword, judgment, pestilence, famine, we will stand in this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and we will cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear us, and you will save us. Now, let me give you some background here that will help you understand this a little better. He's referring back to when the temple was finished and there is a dedication service where Solomon leads, the king then leads the dedication service and it's amazing the expense that was was not even spared for this worship service to give honor to the God that that this temple was constructed for him. But in as part of this consecration, Solomon prays exactly this. He says, O Lord our God, we are dedicating this place. So if these things happen, if we find ourselves in a famine, if we find ourselves in affliction, if we find ourselves under attack, that we are dedicating this place, that we can come to you and we can cry out to you and we are asking you, will you answer? And the answer that God gave is the famous prayer, the famous verses that so many prayers for our nation is founded on, Second Chronicles 7.14. God's answer is if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and repent of their evil ways and turn from their evil ways, I will hear from heaven and I will hear their land. That is God's answer to this request. So what's going on here now is Jehoshaphat is bringing back to God a promise that God made to them. So what do we learn from this? When we're in a difficult time, don't just start throwing things up to God. What you need to do is go to God's Word and take promises that God has made to us, promises that God has made to you, and then argue those promises back to God. 
Now I can understand that because as a former lawyer, when you got into court, that's exactly what you had to do. I could not just go in front of a judge and say, you know, Lord, judge, this is a great guy. This client of mine never done anything wrong. He's a wonderful guy. I wish I had a chance to get to know him because if you knew him, you'd really like him and you would side on his behalf. That judge can't do that. He has no authority to do that. He, in fact, I've seen cases where judges had to decide differently than they wanted to because it's what the law required. So what a lawyer does is a lawyer argues to the judge what the law says, why the law says he ought to find for my client. And that's what Jehoshaphat is doing here. He said, God... We came before you, we consecrated this place, and your answer was that if we did this, you would hear from heaven, and you would answer us and provide the answer that we needed in this time of trouble. So when we pray, we need to go to God with an answer. We're going to see that one of the prayers we're going to pray tonight, and we've been doing this, is based on scriptures, because the greatest confidence you can have that you're praying God's will is when you're taking the promises He's made and arguing them back to God. He wants you to argue with Him. There's a verse, and I think it's in Isaiah, where it says, Come and argue with me that you might win. God's the only one I've ever known that said, I want you to argue with me so that you can win. He wants us to argue with Him because there's faith when we do that. Argue our case with Him. Let's go on and see now what happens. So we're now, let's look at this. We're now one two, three, four. We're four verses into this prayer and Jehoshaphat has not mentioned the problem yet. He's laid the foundation before God. Verse 9, verse 10. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. Now look at this. Whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of Egypt. In other words, they're still in existence because you wouldn't let us destroy them. But they turned from them and did not destroy them. And here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit it. There's all kinds of covenant language in that. Because the, 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 the personal pronoun, your possession, is referring to them. So they're, Jehoshaphat's reminding God that we have a covenant with you. And so... Um, and now we're going to go on. Now in verse 12, we're now this far into it before Jehoshaphat is asking God to do something. Oh God, verse 12, will you not judge them? For we do not have power against this great multitude that is coming out against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That is so powerful. Jehoshaphat is saying, this situation is beyond our ability to handle. We don't, we don't have the strength. We don't, this is an impossible situation to us. Not only don't we have the strength, we have no idea what to do. Now, so many times, we're afraid to admit that. And that's pride. And we can even be afraid to admit that to God or to other people. And I've had people sometimes criticize me because I've stood here in prayer and said, God, I, I don't know what to do here. And, and I'm just being honest. I don't know what to do. But I believe God, I know God answers that. It's humility to admit you don't know what to do. In fact, it's just good common sense because God knows you don't know what to do and you know you want what to do. So you're better off just admitting to Him. We don't have the power against this great multitude. We don't, we're weak. We don't have the power. Secondly, we don't know what to do. But here's the answer. And this is what I've always prayed. I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't have the power to do anything. But this much I do know, my eyes are on you. Now notice what happens. When your eyes are on Him, they're not on the enemy that's coming against you. When your eyes are on Him, you're on the God who you just recited is Almighty. Who you just recited, there's no power that can withstand Him. If you just recited that this is the God who's promised to deliver you, and as long as you keep your eyes on Him, you will not fear what the enemy is threatening to do. And Satan wants you to take your eyes off of God and start looking at the enemy because then we'll panic. And when we panic, we've stepped into his territory. And now look at, look at verse 13. Now Judah with all the, their little ones and their wives and their children stood before the Lord. So now they've asked. Now they're not waiting for the answer. I think a lot of times we ask God and then we don't wait for the answer. 
We just kind of leave as if God's going to do this on His own. No, here's something that, that, that <laughs> as I was going through this, I saw this. So much of the time when we're praying, especially in situations like this, we throw prayers up to God and then we just leave and expect God to do something. But there may be something God needs you to do towards Him. There may be something God instructs us to do along with Him. And so many times we don't wait to hear what God might tell us to do because either we are afraid what He might tell us to do or we're in such a hurry. So let's look at what happens here. Verse 16. Oh, let's go, uh, verse 15. Listen now, all you of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, number one, do not be afraid. So in the middle of this crisis, in the middle of this pandemic, the first thing God will say to you is, do not be afraid. But pastor, I can't, fear is normal, I can't, you said so. I said, no, that's at the beginning. But you don't have to be afraid. You can experience fear, but there's a difference between experiencing fear and being afraid. Because when you're being afraid, you have settled into the state of fear and you've allowed that fear to take up residence in your heart. When it first comes at you, it comes at your mind with a bombardment of thoughts. But it cannot get into your heart unless you allow it. But if you don't know that you have that responsibility and you have that power, it will happen without you realizing it. So he says, Be not afraid, fear not, nor be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but it's God. We need to remember that tonight. Because what we're going to pray for tonight, these things are impossible situations. There's nothing, I mean, our scientists are working on it, and that's great. They're trying to find vaccines. They're using wisdom and knowledge God gave them. That's great. But they can't guarantee us anything. But God can. God can stop this thing. God can stop it in its tracks in one moment's time. And God can make sure it doesn't come back. We're talking this evening to a God who specializes in doing the impossible. In fact, if it's something that's possible for man to do, we probably wouldn't be going to God. But the battle's not yours, but it's God. Now God gives them instructions. Tomorrow go down against them, and they'll surely come up against the Asenazis, and you will find them at the end of the brook by way of the wilderness of Jeruel, and you will not need to fight in this battle, but he tells them three things to do. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. Only do not fear or be dismayed. There's the second time he said that. For tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, bowed down before the Lord, worshiping him. And then the Levites, the children of the Kohathites, and the children of the Korites stood and to praise God, the Lord their God of Israel with voices. So what they're doing is they're out at the field of battle, and they're having a worship service. That doesn't make any sense. But they're worshiping because this is a step of faith. Because God said to be not afraid. God said to go out to the battle, stand, set yourself, and see or expect to see the salvation that God was going to bring. And because they believed that God was going to defeat their enemy, they could afford to worship. Because when you're worshiping, your eyes aren't on the enemy. When you're worshiping, your eyes are on God. When you're worshiping, you're not trying to protect yourself. You're trusting totally in God. So in order for them to worship, they had to believe that God was going to protect them and God was going to defend them. So they rose early in the morning, verse 20, and they went out to the wilderness of Tekoa, And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you, will, and, he, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he consulted with the people, verse 21, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord, and who should praise the beauty of his holiness. And they went out before the army. So the worship team goes out in front of the army, and they're singing, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. 
And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the three enemies who'd come out against Judah, and they were defeated. I'll, I'll shorten this down. What happened is God confused the armies, and these three armies turned on themselves and devoured themselves. And when the battle was over, the Israel went out and they took all the spoils. They took all the armor. They took the weapons. They took everything that was left of these. Everyone was dead of these three armies. And I've often said, the only injury that any Israelite suffered is if he cut himself picking up the spoils of the battle that God had won for them. So what are the lessons? What are the lessons for us? The lesson for us is, first of all, when something comes against us suddenly like this, that although you may initially experience fear, turn to the Lord your God. That's what we're doing tonight. And we've been doing this all along. Turn to Him. Understand that God has made a covenant with us, a better covenant than He made with Israel, because that covenant He made through Abraham, this covenant He made through Jesus Christ, His only Son, who cut that covenant for you and me. And He is the surety, He is the guarantee of God's faithfulness to us and of our faithfulness to God. And so we turn to this God and we call upon Him to do what He's already promised to do. And then when we do that, we just begin to worship Him. And I want to end by saying this. We're going to be asking God, as I mentioned a moment ago, to do things which in our natural understanding are impossible. But that's God's specialty. God specializes in doing the impossible because when God does the impossible, nobody else gets any credit. Nobody else can say, well, I did something about that. It's simply we stand in awe of this God. And God does the impossible every day. So stopping this virus now and not having it come back may seem impossible, but to God it's not impossible. Ending racism after all these centuries and ending this unrest may seem impossible. It may seem overwhelming right now, but it's not impossible with God. I want to tell you two stories about men and women of God who prayed over impossible situations, world situations, and they changed them. Number one is a man named William Wilberforce. He's a young Christian, young man from a wealthy, wealthy family that lived up in the northern part of England. And he got saved when he was a young man. And he ran for parliament. And back then, the slave trade was at its height. And slave trading ships, English slave trading ships, were going to Africa. And they were taking, they were taking young Africans and they were bringing them over to the West Indies, where then they were auctioned off and most of them were brought over to the colonies. Horrible thing. But Wilberforce began, but it was in England, it was an accepted practice. And of course, somewhere along the estimate of $6 million were being made every year from the slave trade by the, by the, by the, um, by the British slave trading ships. And this began to bother Wilberforce. So he started praying about the situation. And then he started standing up to do something about it. And then he began to gather other Christians around him, and they began to pray, and God began to give them wisdom. And it took 20 years. But at the end of that 20 years, Parliament passed a law that abolished British ships from participating in slave trade. And they were the primary ships. And by doing so, it began the death knell to the slave trade from Africa over into the West Indies and into the United, into the United States. And it shook a nation... And it brought a new conscience to that nation and it began a revival in England because one man started to pray and others gathered together with him. An entire nation was changed and a world's outlook began to change and a revival broke out. The God we talk to tonight is a God who can change nations. A God who can eradicate racism and change people's hearts. Another story I want to tell you, and there are two kind of parts to this. One is when I grew up as a, as a young boy, young man, 
I watched the Soviet Union begin to build this, what was called the Iron Curtain. And then I saw them build, I remember the day that they put the, the Berlin Wall up and separated East Berlin from West Berlin. And the Soviet bloc of nations became the second greatest uh, power on the face of the earth, next only the United States. And it was a close rival. And it was impenetrable. It was huge. It was enormous with one of the biggest armies in the world. But what most people don't know about history is there were groups of Christians inside Russia, inside that Soviet bloc, that began to pray for that Iron Curtain to come down. And they began to pray faithfully and consistently for that Iron Curtain to come down. And then what began to happen in the late 1980s is revolution began to break out. The, the strength, the, uh, a, new, a new president was elected, Gorbachev, in Russia. And things began to change. There was a, an, a, a huge uh, a revolt happening in China, Tiananmen Square. And, 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 and these things all began to work together. And all of a sudden, the Soviet bloc began to fall apart. It's seemingly overnight. People wonder, how could that happen? What they didn't know is for years, groups of Christians were praying inside of Russia and inside of Europe for the Soviet bloc, this, this Iron Curtain, to come down. My brothers and sisters, the God we talk to tonight is the God of the impossible, the God who can change nations, the God who can turn nations around, and the God who can turn this nation around. We come and talk to a God tonight who is almighty. So let's do that tonight. Let's begin to talk to him tonight. First of all, we're going to pray this uh, United seven, Night 714 prayer. Again, for those of you who may not be familiar with this, at the beginning of this pandemic, we joined a, a group of a movement of tens of thousands of churches around the world that are praying the same prayer every week, every time they have a service. And then they pray twice a day uh, on, at 714 in the morning and 714 in the evening. And so I want to go over this prayer tonight. We're going to do this together. I'm just asking you to be in agreement unless you happen to have it in front of you. It's available uh, through their website and I think through our website. And notice it begins with two scriptures that this prayer is based on. Isaiah 28, verses 23 through 26 is about the Holy Spirit. Give ear and hear my voice. Give attention and hear my speech. Does he who plows for sowing plow continually? Does he who continually open and harrow his ground? When is he leveled the surface? Does he not scatter, till, and sow cumin, and put in wheat and rose and barley in its proper place, and emmer as its border? And for he is rightly instructed, his God teaches them. So God teaches us how to pray. Acts 1.8 But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Acts 1.8 Let's pray together. Let's be in agreement. Lord, we know that even in the midst of the pain and loss of COVID-19, that the Holy Spirit is at work. This terrible pandemic is being used to soften the spiritual crust over the hearts of the world's people. And what the enemy has meant for evil, excuse me, has actually been served to deeply plow our own hearts, as well as those of our fellow citizens. Only you, God, can bring redemption out of destruction. Heavenly Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, we ask that the hearts of men and women and children around the world be freshly opened to the message of the gospel. Lord, we're thankful that the seasons of plowing and howering are not last, will not last forever. In this hour, many of our friends and neighbors and loved ones have become more receptive to the gospel. It is time for us to go and to sow. Give us the love and the wisdom we need to effectively sow the seeds of the gospel into the broken lives of those around us. Heavenly Father, fill us afresh with the Holy Spirit's power so we can boldly proclaim your word. Lord, as your Spirit is freshly poured out on our world, we ask you to continue to mitigate COVID-19. We pray for your protection over doctors, nurses, first responders, and all those who serve the public day after day. We also ask you to grant supernatural wisdom to those working to develop a vaccine. However, as much as we're grateful for the healthcare professionals and first responders, our hope ultimately is in you. Therefore we rise up, united in prayer with one voice, saying, Heavenly Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, please eradicate COVID-19 from the earth and heal our lands. Amen. Let's continue to pray. Father, 
We also pray tonight, as you've instructed us, for those that are in leadership and authority over our lives, for our president, for our vice president, for the members of our Supreme Court, for the speakers of the House and the, and the, and the, and the uh, president of the Senate, Father. We pray for them, Lord, that you would open the eyes of their understanding to recognize that the office they stand in is ordained by you, and they serve at your pleasure in that office, and therefore they're accountable to you to exercise their judgment and the authority that you've given to them in line with righteousness and truth in such a way that would please you. Father, we pray for Governor Raimondo, the governor of Rhode Island, and for Governor Baker, governor over Massachusetts, who oversee the majority of the people in this fellowship. We pray for each of them, Father, that you would continue to protect them and their families, that you would continue to give them wisdom and grace and understanding to lead our, these respective states through this difficult time. Father, we ask you to continue to guide them as they make decisions about opening the doors of businesses, Father, and they have to balance that der- terrible challenge and balance between the economies, Father, and people's livelihoods and the health of our citizens, Father. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to protect them. We thank you, Lord, that you put people in their lives that are godly men and women that give them godly counsel. And we thank you that you continue to sustain them with grace and wisdom and discernment, Father. And we thank you for these things, Father. We pray, Lord, according to Nahum 1.9, Father, that this thing will end and it will never come back again. For that scripture talks about never returning, Father. And Father, we declare that not only will this end, but it will not come back. We come behind the prayer we just made, Father. We pray, Lord, that that in this time, Lord, you want to use this as an opportunity when people's hearts are open. Father, when people are searching for answers, Lord, that may your church stand up and be bold. We pray for the pastors of this area, Father, that you would give us wisdom and understanding, Lord, of how to stand up and to take our place as different fellowships, fill different roles and different responsibilities, Father. Not just to protect us, but to cast a vision Father, that you want to do things, you want to show yourself strong in this time, both by healing and signs and wonders, but also, Father, by declaring your word. And so we ask you for wisdom, Father, for this fellowship, for our staff, for our leadership, Father, for me and for our other pastors, that we would have your wisdom, your understanding, Father, godly counsel to know how to move forth and what things to do, Father. We pray for boldness of your spirit for all of us, Lord. As the opportunities around us unfold, Lord, that you would give us boldness to step into those opportunities with a word of encouragement, with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, with his healing grace, his love, his compassion, and with the gospel, Father. We thank you for giving us these opportunities. In the midst of all this, let us never forget why we're truly here, that we're here ultimately bring forth the word of the gospel the word of the gospel. Father, we pray for the avenues that this church already has through the live streaming and the websites that we have and especially the Catch the Truth television program, Father, that you will use these to reach into homes and houses with people, Lord, that need to hear the gospel at just the right time. We thank you, Father, for these opportunities. Father, in this time when it is so hard for us to gather together and and, and people come, some of them come and some struggle with whether it's safe and whether they're comfortable and whether they want to be here having to wear a mask. Father, we ask you, Lord, to strengthen our commitment to you and to one another. We thank you for the, the, the means that you've given us to stay connected in this time. We thank you for the social media. We thank you, Father, for, for, for television. We thank you, Father, for, for phones that can connect with one another and emails and texting. We thank you, Father, for all these things that you've made available to us. And, Father, we just pray that you would continue to hold the body of Christ together, Lord. And not just hold us together, but teach us to treasure and value the opportunities that we do have to come together and not forsake our assembling together. Father, we pray that you would give your church, and especially this church, vision for this time, that we would not be caught up in the fear and the uncertainty that Satan wants to sow into our lives, but that we will be filled with the vision, Lord, of why you put us here, why you put this church here, why you put each one of us here, why you've called us here, Lord. Open the eyes 
of our understanding to see this, Father. And more than anything, in this very challenging time right now, Father, your church needs to be witnessing more than anything the love of Christ. So we pray again, Father, the prayer that Paul prayed over the church at Ephesus and that we prayed over this church and over our lives so many times. Father, we ask you to strengthen us individually and together as a body of believers. Strengthen us with might, with power, with your ability by the Holy Spirit that Christ Jesus may actually live in our hearts and through our hearts. That being rooted and grounded in His love, that we might come together to know, together with all of one another, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, to know the limitlessness of His love that you've already placed in us so that we might be filled up with all of your fillness to overflowing on all those that are around us. Now unto Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we can ask or think, be power and glory in your church for all generations forever, Father. The love of Christ for one another. Father, help us in this time. As as horrible and as terrible as the events are that have triggered these, these protests and have triggered this outcry, Father, I am thankful because it's at least awakening us. And I pray, Father, first of all, for this fellowship this community of believers that you have brought together from different ages, different nationalities, different racial backgrounds, different races, different skin colors, that you have brought us together over these 41 years. We've worshipped together freely in this place. But Father, some of us are coming to realize in these last few weeks that there's not the depth to our love, not the depth to our caring that you would require of us and that you would desire of us of and that you have commanded of us. And so many of us have just accepted the surface work that you've done. And so we come together again, Father, to ask you to help us to hear and to listen, especially those of us that have never really been impacted by this racism that have never lived with the fear, never lived with the intimidation, never lived with even just the subtle feeling that I'm being looked down on or I don't belong. Father, help us to hear. Help us to understand. And open our hearts, Lord, to embrace and to share as you've called us to do, to share one another's burdens. Father, I believe with all my heart that we have an opportunity here that you have called us to, that you by your Spirit want to do something here, Father, that that will be a lighthouse out into this world if we're willing to listen and to change. So my prayer, Father, is that as you're working in my heart to soften and to bring down walls, and to open the eyes of my understanding, that you would do that in the hearts of others of us in this church, Lord, that need to experience that and to need to to humble ourselves and to need to recognize things that we've just taken for granted. And then I pray for healing, Father. Nothing on the surface, but a deep, heartfelt, sincere, loving, caring for one another that has no limits, that has no bounds, And Father, that can be scary for us and that can be challenging to us, which is why I believe the Apostle Paul prayed that you would strengthen us with your ability by the power of your Spirit in us. And because this is your will, because this is what you've called us to do, 
because this is what you've commanded us to do, because this is what you need us to do, I have every confidence that you are more than ready. In fact, I believe that you are already at work to do that. I ask you as the pastor and for the other pastors here that you would continue to give us wisdom to guide us step by step and discernment to know how to bring, to do our part to bring this body together and then do our part as a body to step forth into this world. Because, Father, I'm recognizing it's not just bringing unity here. It's not just bringing healing. It's not just bringing understanding. But it's now using this body to influence the communities around us, to influence the systems around us, and to go forth into this world. For that, we need your wisdom. For that, we need your guidance. For that, we need your boldness. Help us to begin to step forth into this, Father. Father, I pray this for the other pastors in this area. I pray them they may be not dealing with the exact same situation that we are, but we're dealing with the same situation in the communities around us. They're dealing in the same situation of your calling for your church at this hour. And I pray for them, Father, that you would give them wisdom, that you would give them discernment, that you would bring their staff and their elders together to give them unity of purpose, Father, and to help them to listen and to hear. Father, we just believe you for the greatest move of God that we've ever seen in this nation since generations before and maybe all the way back to the beginning. Father, I believe we're on the verge of a great harvest. There has to be. Your word is promised that there was the early rain, which was the outpouring of your Spirit on the day of Pentecost, which was the preparation for the planting and the harvest. But then your word promises that there will be a latter rain, a latter outpouring of your Holy Spirit before the great and final harvest of souls before this age ends. And Father, I believe the signs of the times are that we're very close to that. And so we need that outpouring, Father. And I believe that that outpouring is not going to come out into the world that's going to curse of all come as it did in the beginning in the church, in the hearts of people, that you will begin to melt our hearts towards one another. You will begin to melt our hearts towards the lost. You will begin to melt our hearts with the love of Christ and with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Father, it's time. Lord, if prayer could turn the nation of Great Britain around under William Wilberforce. If prayer could turn the Soviet Union around, then the prayer of your saints can turn this nation around and can bring about a great outpouring of your spirit, a great awakening of your spirit, not just to the times we're in, but to the justice, to righteousness, to truth, to all the things that you treasure and value so much. These cannot be done with our programs. These cannot be done with our, uh, with our systems. But these can only be done by the power and the anointing of your Spirit. And that can only happen as the Holy Spirit touches our hearts to pray, touches our hearts to kneel before you and to fall on our face and to pray. And I'm asking you to move through this body of believers. I'm asking you to move as you've been doing in me. Move through this body of believers. Move through our leadership. Move through our leaders. Move through everyone in this building. Move on our hearts and put this burden on our hearts to pray, to seek you, Father. Whether we stand, we sit, we kneel, whether we're in our cars, Holy Spirit, only you can do this. But we can do nothing unless you do this in our hearts. And so we thank you for it, Father. As you spoke to Jehoshaphat of old, so I believe it's true today. The battles that we're in are yours. But you've called us to take a place in that battle. And that's to come out and show up at the battlefield and to worship you and to honor you and to pray and to seek you. And as we do our part, You have promised to do your part. As we do the part that's possible for us, you promise to do the part that's only possible for you. For you are a God who can raise the dead. 
You are a God who calls things into being that never existed before. You are a God, the Word says, that you are a God to can change, as you can change the course of a river, you can change the heart of kings and of leaders. And you can change the hearts of people. And we call upon you tonight, Father, to do just that. We thank you, Father. We pray for the missionaries that this church is privileged to help. We pray for them, Father, because most of them are dealing with the things we're dealing with in terms of this pandemic, but they're not dealing with the infrastructures. They're not dealing with the protections. They're not dealing with the systems that we have in this land that is so blessed. And so we pray for them that you keep them safe. Those of them that are in Africa, those that are in Europe, those that are in South America and Central America, Lord. I know some that are there and they can't get out. I know families that are separated, Lord, and they can't get back together because they can't travel. I pray for those that are in, that are in, in China and those that are in, in, in Southeast Asia, those that are in Indonesia, Father, those that are in other places around the world. We pray that you keep them safe. We pray that you continue to provide for them because there's still a great work that you have called them to do. And we pray that this pandemic and the threats will not stop it, but the Word of God will go forth and it will accomplish what you've sent it to do. We pray for their families, Father, back home, that you would give them peace and security and sense of security. And we pray finally, Father, more than anything else, that for us in this time and age, that you would give us boldness. Father, thank you, because I believe tonight with all my heart that we've made a connection with you. I can feel the connection with people through, this, through these camera lens. And Father, we've made a connection with you. And I believe that things are beginning to change in the spirit realm. And I believe that things are beginning to happen, Father. Now help us to be consecrated to this purpose and to not let go and to not change. And Father, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your goodness. For you, the Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you. I trust that you were agreeing with that as best you know how. And I, again, I felt, I felt something happening. I felt a connection. I felt an anointing. I did it last week also. I just, there's, just hang on. Keep looking. I keep saying this. But I want to encourage you. God's put us here. God's put you here for exactly this time. And God didn't put us here to fail. God didn't put us here to be afraid. God didn't put us here to be overwhelmed. God put us here for a purpose. And the devil cannot stop that purpose. One of the very first things I heard when this thing hit was a letter from Tony Cook, a text message to me. Some of you know who he is, some of you do not. He said, Paul wrote... Philippians, Colossians, and Ephesians, three of the most powerful gospel letters that we have, he wrote them from jail. So what Satan meant to stop the gospel actually increased it. And I believe that's what's going to happen. But it's important for you and me to keep our eyes, just as Jehoshaphat did. He said, I don't know what to do. I don't know the answer, but my eyes are on you because you have the answer And as he did that, God brought them through it and accomplished the victory that God wanted to bring. And that's exactly what God wants to do now. So keep your eyes on him. Don't allow discouragement or fear to settle in your heart. And the best way to do that is to keep your prayer life active. Keep your time in the Word active. And continue to worship God. Amen? Amen. Tune in on Sunday. We're going to have a special treat for you on Sunday. 9.30, we tune in on live streaming. Come here if you want. You're welcome. We still have to wear masks. That's what they require of us. And I know it's hard. We're going to try to shorten the services down so it's not quite so long. But, but at least we can gather together. We have to separate. We will take care of that. Uh, and if we encourage you, if you're, if you're in, you know, in your 70s or 80s or you're not in good health, please stay home. Obviously, if you have any kind of symptoms, stay home. And we 
do everything we can here to make it as safe, and we're following to the letter the guidelines of the governor's office. But I encourage you to come if you can't live stream as you're watching it tonight, and we'd love to have have you with us. God bless you, and we're going to do a little bit of worship in order to end this. Again, I appreciate you guys. So praise the Lord. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns. Unending love. Amazing. My chains are gone, I've been set free, my God, my God, my Savior has ransomed me. God bless you all. Have a wonderful night tonight.